GM everyone, and welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what is going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And on this episode of Flywheel, we go into the wonderful world of interest rates and interest rate swaps and derivatives. And we're here to brighten your day with Julian from Illuminate. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I think it was very enlightening. I think he definitely shed the light on what is a very, I guess, dark and uh, mysterious part of the market, which is called fixed income and fixed yield. So I think yeah. the readers and the listeners are going to have a great uh, and educational experience. But take out your notepad because yeah. Julian goes deep and he goes hard and he goes fast. <laughs> Yeah. And it was a great conversation over, overall. You know, we really got into it, learned a lot about this subsection of DeFi, which has a lot of action and a lot of potential and opportunity. And so that's why I really enjoyed this interview. And if you want to catch all our interviews, make sure you hit that bell button and subscribe. Leave us a comment down below. Follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. You can join the Telegram at FlywheelDefi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDay22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. Welcome back, everybody, to Flywheel. And on this edition, we are here to brighten your day with Illuminate. We have on the founder of Illuminate, Julian on. Um, it's funny because, Julian, I did uh, demo your product a few months back. So I'm actually very excited to have you on so we can like talk about it, talk about the progress, and uh, talk about the uh, S-Trax ETH uh, collaboration you have going on. So we'll get right into it. Um, for people that are unfamiliar, um, you know, what is Illuminate? What problem are you guys trying to solve? And how does Illuminate bring a solution to it? Sure. Uh, for, first off, thanks for doing the interview, right? Like th those are very important early on. You know, we did kind of launch out of what is really stealth this past week. So having folks that we can actually access early on to actually get feedback is pretty, pretty difficult, obviously, mm -hmm. when you're in stealth. Um, and also, we'll be doing likely another round of those now that we're live to, to kind of get some more legitimate feedback. You know, every time you use a DeFi product, it always feels a little different when you're actually paying gas for it. So that's a big consideration. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, yeah, so, so what is Illuminate? Well, Illuminate at its core, I mean, it, it depends on your point of view if you really want a technical description. But from a user's perspective, Illuminate should be the only place you ever go for fixed rates. That's like our goal at the end of the day. Uh, we serve as a, an aggregator across about 10 different protocols at this point to aggregate fixed yields. Um, you know, it's very easy to come into our interface, uh, choose your asset and maturity. And we are at that point guaranteeing uh, what is effectively the best rate across uh, Swivel, Element, Notional, Tempest, Yield, Pendle, APY, and Sense. And then soon TM, there's like another few in there. There's like exactly time swap ipor volts and napier yeah can we actually get a picture of this whole fixed rate landscape that exists in DeFi right now yeah yeah it's uh it's growing right and i i think that's that is the core of our thesis is that there is this massively growing fixed rate space 
but there is no real way to honestly as a user use them I, I mean at a core level and then more importantly if i mean if the space is growing and i'm listing all these projects there's no real way to actually integrate them and utilize them within your infrastructure or actually to deploy if you're you know a large DAO or anywhere else there's really no sustainable way to deploy capital um uh, so, so that's really where we came in and made our, our slogan, DeFi Fixed, right? The idea is that we're mm -hmm. trying to fix a lot of the issues that exist in DeFi and also as well, like make DeFi fixed, right? Like grow fixed rates. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good pun. Uh, you yeah, said something about, fun. you know, DAOs, DAOs and their treasuries and being able to deploy. Um, what kind of issues do DAOs face with their treasuries and how does Illuminate and fixed rates in general help with it? So I would even actually differentiate even further between two categories of users. There's like okay. DAOs in general that have treasuries and like, should they get yield? Maybe, maybe not even like it depends on your point of view at this point. Um, there, there are plenty of those out there that, you know, especially last year um, and ongoing, there, there are a number of DAOs that literally are just trying to get the best yield possible on their capital. Um, you know, this includes pretty much every Olympus first or own fork. Um, and beyond that includes places like, like maker, where of course they need to increase the supply of dye. And the way they do that is they deploy it out to like effective liquidity venues, uh, same thing with liquidity and then other places like, like yearn or idle is a place like this, which are effectively, you know, not hedge funds, cause that's a bad word for it. Um, but th they need to deploy liquidity and they need to deploy it optimally. Right. Um. So, so I kind of separate these folks away from people that are just purely managing their DAO treasury. Um, for the DAO treasury people, it has been a little bit more sustainable, just like strictly they can deploy a little bit. If they don't need the capital for a while, they can get some yield. Uh, the issue there is at least for now, protocols are too nascent to one, deploy a significant amount of capital to, that's kind of the story across every different user base. But then specifically there, um, they're too nascent to really trust with your treasury. Uh, yeah. And yeah, this is like, this provides a lot of problems. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to ask a question from you guys here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is commonly asked of us, uh, but there, there's kind of two spectrums of risk. There is concentration risk, and then there is just like general smart contract risk. And um, I'm interested in whether you guys think of diversification between smart contracts actually as an, a, a reduction of risk because, hey, your capital is now split across maybe 15 to 20 different places. Or if it's an increase in risk, because now you're worried about getting hacked on 15 different platforms, right? I would, I would say increase in risk. I would feel much safer in a, one protocol that I know is Lindy and that I know is battle tested than I would across 15 different protocols. Because as we saw with, you know, it doesn't matter if a protocol's even been around for like a a short amount of time, long amount of time, or how it's perceived as a blue chip or not, like you're spreading your risk across 15 protocols. I think DeFi is too nascent right now to ignore that. So I'd rather just concentrate in one protocol. I'm not sure about you, Kit. I think for me, the, the number 15 is quite large. I feel like I would be much more comfortable with like five, right? If you had changed that to like five, instead yeah. of one or five, I, I would choose five just as the the natural well, diversification dogma in me just pushes yeah what about you like there hasn't yeah like it's i don't i don't have a good answer uh if i'm trying to advertise my product i of course say that the diversification is a reduction of risk right um mm -hmm. 
And this is present, I mean, inherently, if you're, if you're using this aggregator, you're effectively purchasing what is a basket of principal tokens. Um, mm -hmm. And that means that, I mean, at this point, our first market is diversified across yield, notional, sense, and swivel. Um, so that if any individual protocol there is ever hacked, your maximum loss is limited to the, the basket. And then we have a, a deposit limit, a rate limit that prevents anything beyond the, the current deposit. Um, so this is like, I can't advertise this as a reduction risk. The urine guys likely would advertise it as a reduction risk, right? Like they were exposed to Euler, for example, mm -hmm. but if you had deposited mm -hmm. to urine, you only lost maybe a percent or two. Um, yeah. And Yearn has a track record of, you know, making people whole. Like they had that yeah. million, $11 million dollar hack. So I, that also goes. That, that's into, exactly what they did. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that goes into also like where I feel safe depositing yeah, yeah, um, is like, you know, how they reacted to, you know, exploits in the past. Yeah. Th this wasn't on like the topic list, but the Euler stuff itself is very like, oh, I don't want to yeah. spend too much time on it, honestly, because mm -hmm. I'll end up talking crap rather than just briefly touching on it. Um, but yeah, like, like w I was impacted personally. Swivel was impacted. We had like a million dollars of a market going on there. And we'll, let's, let's hope that they don't screw things up right now. Uh, I'm not the I mean, biggest they... fan of the current proposal. So what was, what's the current proposal? Um, essentially they are benchmarking the, your, your balances at the day of the hack. So let's say that you had, and this is me, you had deposited staked ETH and borrowed stable coins. So this is, I do this always, I, I deposit my ETH stack and I borrow stable coins to then max leverage and provide liquidity to my protocols. Um, and Good what man. that effect, Good man. <laughs> yeah. what that effectively means is that I, 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 my price was benchmarked at $1,600. And um, they're effectively liquidating about uh, you know hundred thousand dollars of Ethereum vine at sixteen hundred when today it's nineteen hundred. So I'm oh. yeah, I'm essentially losing about fifteen to twenty percent there uh, because of this. And then the proceeds they get from the the that three hundred dollar differential is being distributed proportionally to all users. So if you're sitting there and you had just deposited stable coins, you're actually going to be making all of that money from me. You're going to be taking my money. Uh, I'm curious. How do, do you like past hacks in the past? Like, let's look at like Mount Gox. Do you know how like Mount like Mount Gox works? Is it like day uh, of? Yes, it's, like, well, way it's a little bit different with bankruptcies. And this is actually one of the comparisons that was made, and I made a stink about it because it's clearly not bankruptcy. And that mm. um, bankruptcies would require that all of the uh, equity holders are paid out last, and in that case, all of the treasury would be completely run out. Um, mm -hmm. Euler has. 25 plus million dollars in cash in their treasury and then they have another seven and a half million dollars in insurance funds that have been paid out so they have 32 and a half million dollars to ensure that nobody takes a loss on this um and they haven't indicated that they're going to spend that at all so why would they yeah why wouldn't they just make people whole just like completely i think that that, that would seem like the optimal outcome that, well, that that gets back to your original point which is like you want to use protocols that just do that um, I would continue <laughs> exactly. to, to use Euler potentially if, if they do that. Um, and if they don't, it pretty much means that they're, in my mind, they're giving up on this product. They'll likely do a rebrand and release whatever the other stuff was they were working on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, guys, can you give me one second? I'm going to adjust something right here. Yeah, all good. Um, I'll, I'll just speak a little bit on Illuminate. So, so or actually on, on the, the previous hacks actually is a good example. The, the only thing that is really important for, for, for the Euler team to do is to just not take too long. 
Um, last mm. year, the thing that killed Rari was purely just like a lack of urgency. Um, it took mm. Rari three and a half months between the hack and the Fey final repayment. And during that time, there was obviously insane price disparities. Um, mm -hmm. They waited initially because Fey didn't want to, like ETH had dropped from 3K to like 2,500 or 2,400 and they didn't want to eat that price differential. Uh, they waited and waited and waited. ETH dropped to 1,400 and that meant that they could not recapitalize the protocols completely and both Fey and Rari were closed down. Literally just because they were trying to be greedy with their treasury. Um, yeah. I, that was literally going to be my next question um, statement was like, oh, this kind of irks of not the same, but like you'd hope in it the same man. greed, man, greed. That was such a like, pain. I, 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 we didn't die, right? Um, we got covered. We had actually exposure to that hack as well. Um, luckily, it was in Faye itself. So the Faye team implicitly had covered that already. Mm -hmm. um, but that actually that killed Babylon Finance. I don't know if you guys remember them at all. They like yeah, I remember hearing about that. They had raised like ten million dollars, and just like all of it is very sad. So <laughs> let's wrap them to this topic a little right. bit, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I would say the, to wrap this up, the one positive thing that came out of the whole Faye debacle was yeah. like yeah, it was very contentious, you know. But there was an on-chain solution um, that the Olympus guys came up with with Frax, and the fact that everything you know was resolved on chain and yeah frax and olympus didn't get a hundred percent back but they didn't get nothing back either they got some at least there's some resolution on chain and it shows that yep. like hey we can take care, care of our own business which is really important in the eyes of outsiders to you know show that we can do that yeah i i actually was getting together with the frax and olympus guys like as that was ongoing to to try to push that and figure it out right like mm -hmm. it I honestly don't think that things will move to the chain this time around, just the indications I don't think of the so other team. Yeah. Um, they haven't asked whatsoever, honestly, for anyone's opinions. They've just said, hey, this is the plan. Um, mm -hmm. They haven't responded to anyone's questions on anything. The last word was, this is, hey, check out this contract that we built for the claim. And there's like half of the readme is for the, for the contract is the legal disclaimer saying this gives up any rights to sue them. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens within the next week and a half after this this is released. So to be continued, yeah. but let's to be continued. Let's, yeah, let's bring this back to uh, fixed rates. Um, yeah, so I'm curious, yeah. um, what does demand look like in the world of like fixed rates in DeFi? I'd say at this point, most of the demand is on the borrowing side. Um, so you've seen most of the scaling come from, at least until the past few months, I'm specifying, because there's probably, there has been some recent action. Up until the past, past few months, it was almost completely action on yield and notional, where uh, people could just collateralize and borrow, let's say at a one to 2% yield. And of course, that's mm -hmm. going to be very, very profitable if you're just able to beat others out. Um, that said, there's also been a lot of growth recently on like layer two and alongside things like like GLP and other just more interesting mechanisms. Um, places where it's not necessarily direct yield that's always being tokenized, but other more abstract forms of yield that can also just be utilized in fixed rates. So, I mean, I would even, I'd shout out, I'd shout out Pendle, um, Flashstake is a new one that's launched. Um, all these guys are targeting different places. And then I think, um, Really, it, for, for fixed yields, what's most sustainable, I mean, it depends on where the T-bills go, but is uh, is staking. 
right? And mm-hmm. with with rates around four to five percent, it is still difficult to reach out to external sources of capital like family offices, etc., and really onboard them. Um, but what you can do is offer like like through stake fixed fixed rate staking products, right? And these are competitive. Um, when when you start to consider things like dilution, right? And I'm actually interested. Just a quick question: Was do, do you guys think that we will get more staking or less staking post uh, post merge there, or post withdrawals? I suppose. I think we'd get more staking. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, p- p- yeah. yeah. People would get more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I exactly. It's like it's a it's a bullish withdrawal, right? Um, so. At that rate, there should continue to be significant dilution in stakes, right? To the extent that it makes a lot more sense actually to get fixed rates. Um, but beyond that, there's also like th- there's a ton of really really interesting things that can actually be built when you start to tokenize fixed yields. And I think like w- one of the examples is probably uh, deliverable block space features. So, are you guys familiar maybe with Alchemia? I'm not. Cool. They're like they're not really a DeFi project because they kind of sit off chain with like a more node infrastructure. But the idea is that they, they really do just yield space tokenization through this other stuff. And, and um, once you tokenize yield, you can effectively isolate the actual uh, transaction demand component that is going through this, right? And at that rate, you can start to do things like hedging your transaction demand. Um, if, if let's say a, a larger party, and I'm not going to shout out any specific partnerships here, but there's a few relayers out there that allow you to, uh, pay for another user's transactions. And these parties already have agreements in place to just like, Hey, you pay me ahead of time and I'll pay you for your transactions in the future. Right. Mm. However, the issue with this setup is that when you take on that amount of risk, uh, you have to charge absurd sums for that kind of deliverable future block space. And what yield tokenization then allows those parties to do is to actually hedge off all of that risk by longing the the rate at the same time, longing transaction demand. Um, And all of a sudden you can create way cooler financial products there, right? Like if if Matic needs to commit 20 transactions a day, this is the case for them, they need to maybe spend 20 million uh, gas a day, you can guarantee them fixed costs on those transactions, which like, traditionally are where stuff like interest rates really find demand uh, rate swaps rather um, you know is when one party has a, a some sort of variable cost that they need to fix in place to ensure that their organization or business is sustainable uh, sorry yeah, that, that was a few answers no, that's that's really but, interesting yeah. no, no, that makes complete sense because I'm, I'm quite familiar with relayers from my time at gelato and their work with bridges and yeah. so like guaranteeing a fixed rate um, you know for the, for those organizations that need it, it's really a game. Tra- I mean, it's it's kind of like if you if you go back mm-hmm. in you know, you know, hundred years ago or like a few hundred years ago in agriculture, like guaranteeing like a fixed rate on the yield, whether it's like weed or like whatever crop you grow, um, precisely to ensure. Yeah, it's the same exact thing, but instead it's with b- block space. Yeah, and and that's a it's a way larger market that I expect will grow over the next year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, even at a simple basis though, I'll just kind of bring stuff back full circle, L- lending at a high fixed rate on ETH or any, honestly, uh, staking infrastructure is just attractive. Um, the yields are more volatile than elsewhere. And if right now, let's say, I think Frax ETH is around 6.2%, uh, maybe I'm misquoting mm-hmm. there, 
Um, if we're able to offer about five to six percent on that, that's solid. Um, and there's like other enhancements we'll be able to offer even to to kind of eclipse that the, the yield that staked fraxeth could offer in and of itself as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so question for me, Julian. Um, who's taking on the other side of the variable rate then if i'm locking you in that means i'm eating the volatility right yeah yeah so so if you're taking the long side and um you're you're essentially just taking on all of that volatility um you are a few users really like your your trading rates you're arbitraging them cross platform if that is possible previously without illuminate that honestly wasn't possible um, or you're, you have some bespoke position, right? Like you understand that, uh, especially with staking yields, let's say if there's gas prices have gone down to, to 10, um, there will be an opportunity to, to long gas prices. There's essentially value statements there that you can make. Um, and on the other side, I actually think that it's, it's at this point more difficult to find people to, to lock in a fixed yield to, uh, on, on things like USDC or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. where um, traditional rates are still higher than they are in DeFi. And yeah, that's kind yeah. of this wider macro statement that we should be longing. Um, yeah, like, like I, I guess when you guys, <laughs> when you guys look at the, the risk profile of a fixed rate in DeFi, what would you guys really expect, I suppose, compared to, let's say, just deploying to a T-bill? Yeah, I mean... The fact that rates are higher, you know, with T-bills makes it automatically less attractive in DeFi. Like the only place where I honestly see an attractive, you know, uh, stablecoin yields are Fraxland, where they're like seven, eight, nine. Hell, the other day I was at like 10%. So that would be like the only place where I would find attractive stablecoin yield in DeFi that's organic. Um, But that's that's just how like Fraxland has been with, you know, the way... People are using CRV as collateral and Geom as collateral. Um, and, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm up in there. I, I'm using a bunch of staked for XETH. It's like, mm-hmm. it's the the best folding strategy right now is not actually folding and, and borrowing ETH. It's it's borrowing. It's I mean, it depends on how your position is. Um, I'm actually relatively market neutral right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I can borrow stables and then, and then buy ETH with it. Essentially, I borrow, borrow Frax and then buy ETH. Um, yeah, I have a... I have yeah. a question. So what do you think, how will protocols that are set in stone that like, you know, took decentralization as their number one priority, whether it was Rye or whether it was liquidity, how do you think they're gonna, you know, evolve in this world of staked ETH when, when you know, Shanghai goes live? Because the staked ETH is obviously more attractive than the ETH and you're just leaving money on the table. Uh, they... I actually need to look more in detail about how locked in and immutable they are because something tells me that they're able to add some form of collateral there, right? Like it would blow my mind if liquidity is unable to add state ETH. Although actually it wouldn't blow my mind. It just would surprise me. That's the way I'd say it. I um, think they would have to fork and start there's, a new like They're going to have contract. difficulties. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the, uh, y- you have to grow the supply of your stablecoin by offering low yields. However, if you're offering ETH as your stablecoin, you're immediately going to be hitting the lower bound problem where you're going to hit 0% because the collateral itself isn't earning anything. So you have to inherently offer lower borrowing yield than anywhere else to kind of hedge that. Um, 
But if, if, if everybody else, let's say if Maker's already at 0%, does Liquidity start giving negative yields to like make people close their positions and, and, and like come back to peg? Or how do they expand their supply properly? Um, I mean, that's it, a problem with like their model. It's hard to... It's yeah, supply, and it becomes yeah. more difficult, let's say, Scale. if everybody else... And so, so uh, Aave has V3 and Go, right? Mm -hmm. And and Maker is launching uh, Spark, which is a fork of Aave V3. So essentially, mm -hmm. their stacks are going to be almost identical. Um, and the goal of both of those infrastructures is to provide bare bones, low borrowing costs on on, on stable coins. Um, so again, like I don't know how you can compete. Let's say if I can if I can throw my Frax staked ETH up onto um, onto Maker's Spark protocol and borrow die at like a quarter percent, um, it's hard to beat that out. Again, like you'd have to give me, you'd have to be providing like a negative three percent to compete with that and have the same sort of market dynamics. Um, <laughs> I don't see there being enough demand. Likely, uh, the prices just rise on them. Like that, likely is going to be in the cases they depeg. Um, yeah. And they just become more expensive for some sort of decentralization. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to our first interview kit when we were talking to Seba and how he discovered Frax. And it, he discovered Frax on Aave because it had the most attractive interest rate. Yep. And, right. so, and that was because of the AMOs. Case. Yeah. The most wholesome use case. <laughs> Finding actual utility. Yeah. I just want to pay yeah, less I mean, and, and so <laughs> how do you get to how do you how do you lower your interest rate even further if you're the collateral is like useless um mm -hmm. and i don't see that happening there's not enough people that care enough that there will be i guarantee you there's a good bit of people that just have lost their private keys so they'll have some collateral in there forever um mm -hmm. many such but, cases yeah i mean i've lost a wallet or two over time i'm sure um but yeah i don't i don't know if that's really sustainable for them and th there will be some demand for decentralization uh, mm -hmm. the question is, and, and that I actually can completely see this happening. They will have to ask themselves whether they put in a negative rate that forces people to decide whether decentralization is actually worth paying money for, for that kind of safety. Uh, cause it's essentially just like holding, here's what it'll be. It will be like holding a position on any of these maker protocols, uh, plus insurance at the same time. So that will end up being likely the exact cost. It's like you're essentially just insuring yourself from decentralization risks by paying some sort of negative yield on liquidity or elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, Kit, did you have a question? Yeah, I actually wanted to um, circle back to, to fixed rates here for a sec. And obviously, we, we've seen all the projects that come out from Pendle to Notion to Element. And I maybe it's just because, um, you know, Full disclosure, I am not very up to date on the fixed income, fixed yield side of DeFi, but I felt like these it's like projects... this whole subset of DeFi. Yes, it's a <laughs> not many people it's, care it's about super yet, brain. Like... It's it's massive. Like it, when you compare it to TradFi, this is where everything is built on, right? Interest rate swaps, CDSs are like the tits. But in DeFi right now, I don't know if it's because the product is too complicated or whatnot, but I've yet to see real adoption. Or if there is an adoption, you see the TVO chart goes like this, and then it goes like this. So like, that's not real adoption, know. right? So I know it's, you're calling out a specific <laughs> protocol with that, all right? Um, yeah, yeah, like there's there's a few of these cases. One got hit like really bad. I, I'd say the the. Uh, 
the interest rate swap market in particular, which is the design that most of them are built around, um, leads to really shitty market dynamics that, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but us at Swivel, we're the only ones that are properly addressed at this point. Um, and that, I mean, an interest rate derivative is what it's in the fucking name. It's a derivative. Um, mm-hmm. And pricing derivatives on an AMM is prohibitively difficult, right? And, and the comparison is usually options. Um, on an options market, you're stuck dealing with uh, volatility. You're stuck dealing with the current price. You're stuck dealing with just everything that's in Black Shoals. Um, mm-hmm. And with rate derivatives, it's actually very close to the same formula in many ways. Um, and unfortunately, the only thing that, like you mentioned, Pendle, Element, uh, AP, like all of those guys deal with is time passing. So like as time passes, it makes sure that the LPs don't get screwed. Um, but in reality, that is not a major factor when you talk about pricing these derivatives. What matters more is like, what is the current rate on Aave right now? Uh, if Aave is paying 5%, well, the fixed rate should be close to 5%. And if the rate on Aave then drops to 1%, if you are still stuck on your AMM quoting 5%, you're leaving yourself open to massive amounts of toxic flow. And this is exactly what happened on, I mean, Element, they opened up a market, the urine rate was 5%, um, their LPs came in, deposited millions, uh, and they farmed their token, and like that token was what it was. And then over the course of the market, the rate dropped to about 0.8%, and the LPs ate all of those losses. Uh, And further than that, you know, you could advertise this as an impermanent loss, but these instruments mature. Right? How can you say it's impermanent loss when literally like your 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 loss is locked in? Um, so this is like this is kind of it's prevented permanent loss. <laughs> yeah, permanent like loss. <laughs> guaranteed permanent loss. There you go. Um, and not a single protocol actually gives a shit about this right now. Uh, they would they would they, they, the solution right now is token incentives. Um, we'll see if there are more advanced AMMs in the future. For now, at Swivel, we use an order book. Not because I mean I do think order books have some advantages but not necessarily for the advantages, but because you can avoid those issues, which is more of the- Wait, so Swivel uses an order book, but uh, Illuminate yes. uses an AMM. Um, two questions. Um, why did you choose an AMM for Illuminate? And like, what are the differences between like Swivel and Illuminate? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I'd say there, there's like multiple layers to the fixed rate space as there are in, in, in every ecosystem at this point. There's the core protocols that have some unique mechanism and, and drive yield. And then there are aggregators that live on top of that and end up really being who drive things in the wider space, right? Um, if you're looking for integrations, especially with, let's say, any options protocols, this doesn't really work right now. And the same thing is, can be said with uh, fixed rate protocols. So on Swivel's end, we use an order book because of these issues fundamentally with the mechanics. However, an order book does not allow you to be integrated with anybody and these issues don't necessarily exist if you talk about a wider market they more exist when you talk about like oh this isn't a rate derivative of ave directly um so what we ended up leading to is over time we we realized that there there were about 10 different protocols that started working in the fixed rate space we are differentiated but this does not mean that the space is growing as it needs to um I mean, as you guys implied for already, th- there's a lot of things that kind of pre- prevent proliferation. And I'll, I'll, I'll get into that separately, I suppose. But um, 
the thing that can really solve these issues is at the end of the day, providing one interface that kind of combines the liquidity of these protocols. And yeah, yeah that, that is what we're doing then at Illuminate. Yeah. I want to actually touch on that. Like, what are the issues you see with, um, you know, why haven't DeFi, you know, these like fixed rates and, you know, these interest rates markets, why haven't they been widely adopted yet? Well, like, the, the, again, I think you have to talk for specific user groups. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll talk just like, the, what was the story initially that grew Uniswap? It was not users using Uniswap. I will tell you that. Okay. It was sushi swap launching and there being arbitrage between the two. And it was there being massive amounts of exchange, centralized exchanges to arbitrage Uniswap against. So. Right. And yeah, I would also, I, I would also say um, DeFi summer and the fact that you had these yield farms and whatnot, and that you had to go in the only venue to trade these new food tokens was Uniswap, you know, played a lot into it. Yeah. And also, yeah. And it was a great product, honestly, like just using it for the first time. I'm like, Oh my, it, it was just, I don't have to like go in, sign to an exchange, like wait, you know, this, it was it's a, all there it, yeah, and it's it all looks there good too. Right. Like, it, I, it, yeah, they knocked it out I of used, the park. Yeah. Everyone copies their UI for a reason, right? Like before that there was like, there was shape shift in the ether Delta. I don't know if you were around for ether Delta. Right. But ether I Delta, was around maybe. for ether Delta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Best UI so, in the game. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> it was fun. Let's put it that way. It's um, terrifying. I was like, yeah, yeah. all my coins. <laughs> I actually really didn't understand everything at the time either. So like, yeah, you're just kind of hoping transactions went through. Uh, but I, I digress. So, yeah, there was a big differentiator. And um, there was always going to be volume on Uniswap because there was always going to be price disparity between Uniswap and a centralized exchange. Like mm -hmm. even before all of DeFi summer, there was always going to be people there. That cannot happen right now in fixed rates because there's no such thing as price discovery. There's no such thing as a wider ecosystem. There's no such thing as rate traders or arbitrage. Um, what mm -hmm. you have instead are everybody has different maturity dates. So like like for the, the, during the merge initially, half of the people matured before the merge, half afterwards. This meant that you can't trade rates between the two. Um, half of them use slightly different mechanisms, so you can't trade rates between the two. And there's honestly too thin liquidity across a lot of these protocols to to utilize as a trader. Um, if you are a, a, a retail, it's an easy story, right? Like there's just too many of them. Screw that, right? Like that's honestly very simple. Um, mm -hmm. But the most important one then comes down to integrators. Um, if you are an, an example is Contango. I doubt you guys know these guys because they're brand new. Um, mm. But they're the only expirable futures protocol. Um, ex mm. expirable futures do about eight to 10% of perps on centralized exchanges. So there's some validated market there. Um, and the, the, the core of their product is actually routing all of this liquidity through fixed rates to essentially create this expirable position. Difficulty being is that means that their infrastructure is completely bottlenecked by the liquidity available on yield protocol right now, which is about a million dollars. Right. So, so how can you, as a builder, like they raised uh, like $5 million, they cannot scale because they're screwed right now. They have no really scalable liquidity to build against. Um, and like that, they're one of our essentially launch partners. Uh, we, we need secondary liquidity to borrow our principal token, but like they, mm. they need us to scale. So the, you know, the primary problem here. Um, compared to like Uniswap, it's an AMM, but they have arbitragers are, are being against centralized exchanges even before DeFi summer, 
you know, then sushi came along, people arbing against sushi. Um, there's really no place to arb um, and no market that has formed yet for these uh, interest rate markets. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing there. And because of that, liquidity has suffered. And also, like, there's individual protocol liquidity issues, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so and obviously, that prevents individual protocols like Contango from from growing and, and utilizing fixed yields as they should. But there's there a way also, that... Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, no, uh, go ahead. Then I'll have my question. I, I mean, I've got a lot. I've got a lot. So yeah, I was going to say, like, does Illuminate solve that with like what you're trying to build? Like, do you like at the begin, like you you set the foundation for a market to take place, and then uh, have, like, like what I'm most pumped about. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. There's like we combine the liquidity of every single fixed rate protocol, so that Contango, instead of now being completely bottlenecked by yield protocol. Can now actually scale can access the liquidity across every like notional across everybody and like have a liquid infrastructure to build upon right before okay. our launch there legitimately is no way to build on fixed yields yeah go for it man. question question um i actually mm-hmm. lp'd into um element kind of like a, a year or a year and a half ago and <laughs> my understanding it was you take the principal token and then you take the base asset, let's call it ETH and then principal token ETH or, or, or USDC for, for a better example. And then yeah. you kind of let, you know, people trade against it. And that's kind of where the fixed rate is derived from, right? Whatever the difference is yeah, between correct. The, the, the trading pair. But if you were to just hold this LP position until expiration or maturity, rather, you are made whole. Like you could redeem it $1 for $1. Your one USDC principal token is equal to that one dollar USDC that you had deposited. It depends. That's misleading. They are they are misleading and (laughs) so 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 if you had acquired those tokens externally and perfectly priced them, correct. Um, The difficulty is you minted principal tokens and then you LP the principal token with the USDC. Is, is that what you mean by by perfectly? E, to an extent, like if if you if you buy principal tokens from the market and then LP with them, you're not necessarily always whole. Uh, like it's yes, you're technically made whole because you get your initial dollars back, but that's not necessarily whole in terms of I could have just purchased a fixed race at this price if that makes sense. And God, I understand, but if right? you didn't like, buy the principal tokens and you minted them instead right and then yeah. you held them all the way until expiration then you did, did you get what was promised or does the um issue still occur it's the issue exists always in terms of capturing a sort of cost benefit there the cost opportunity because they can frame it in terms of face value but you're always risking the fact that you are going to be eating this toxic flow and like, if you could, let's sure. say, move your order from 5% to 1%, you just avoid all of that and it increases your LP. Like you actually profit, if that makes sense, right? Um, so it's, it is legitimate losses being caused by the design of the AMM. While you might like technically not have a negative PNL, um, your PNL is otherwise guaranteed and you're losing it. Right. So that is like an, a, a loss, if that makes sense. So it's more like the opportunity gain, right? The, the opportunity cost, because you could have earned this yeah, 5% like, like, elsewhere instead of this one. 
Yeah, and when they're telling you 5% and, like, it, it's just, it, a lot of it is inaccurate is what I'd say and misleading. It's not like they're bad guys and it's, like, all lies is the way I'd phrase it, right? Like It's nuanced. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. and, like, that's I get why they don't go into this detail and say, hey, there's risks. Hey, our AMM isn't the most efficient. Hey, we're improving it. You don't want to tell people that. We're working <laughs> on it. Yeah. yeah like, so, you know what it sounds? Oh, go ahead, Kit. I'll, yeah, yeah let, let me finish the, um, this train of thought here. So is this AMM model design uh, similar across the board over at Notional, Pendo, and all the fixed yield? Yes, it's less bad. Like, so th there's some realizations that I've made over time, which is that all fixed yields are a derivative of the floating yield because they're just less liquid. Um, that said, notional and element are, or sorry, notional and yield are slightly different in that they have their own yield generation mechanisms with fixed rate borrowing. You just mint the principal tokens and sell them instead of using the yield splitting dynamic where you're like, yeah, you have your principal token and yield token. So with, with yield tokenization, it is very strictly a derivative. Like the yield token, its value is like some derivative value of the floating rate. Um, with, What's the floating and rate? that does get ref um, like at the variable rate on like Ave or like or wherever, right? Yeah. Um, and with, with with notional and yield, they, they, again, they have like this separate mechanism where over time, theoretically, in an efficient market, they should be arbitraged down and they are also a derivative. Um, but honestly, that just hasn't played out. Like DeFi's markets are just not efficient right now. So, mm -hmm. you know what this sounds like with, you know, you're talking about Contango, they raised $5 million. You're an aggregator for like 10 different fixed rate protocols. They talk about product market fit. It sounds like market product fit. <laughs> like it's just like all these like fixed rate. It's a, it's a great idea. It's all, it's exciting. Let's like raise money for it. And, uh, you know, now you have like 10, 50 different protocols, but the problem is there's no way to get, there's no liquidity for them to trade yet. <laughs> yeah. Some of it's my fault. Um, and this is maybe sucking my own dick a little bit more than I'm intending to. Uh, I, I came out with the whole yield tokenization thing. And like, as it was a hackathon project. And my background previously was in, I have a degree in psychology. And I played uh, League of Legends and Here's a Storm professionally. It's like, that's my background. Wait, really? And yeah, wow. yeah. So, so like, I essentially had to open source everything very early. And I don't think that people were just copying me. That's not what I'm implying. I just think there's likely a lot of co like w work in the same market at the same time parallel work um mm -hmm. but this had definitely contributed at least partially to there being like 10 different yield splitting protocols now um contango i feel like they they can scale like they they know the fixed rate will scale right and uh, fixed rate space will scale it just isn't there right now for them and Honestly, their UI sucks. They're really early. Like they don't need it to scale yet. They need time anyway themselves. Yeah, this kind of reminds like every every product has its time. This reminds me of with Gelato, like when they tackled automation. You know, Ethereum had been around for like a few years, but there was really no case for yeah. automation. Like the only thing was like Ethereum alarm clock and like let me send this transaction at this time. But later, you know, once DeFi became a thing, um, and then once you know different, you know. Once people Different, found out yeah. that you should create like solid models around rebalancing, essentially, right? Like, that's yeah, yeah. One of yeah. one of Gelato's biggest use cases in 2021 was with all the algo stables on Phantom, like all the tomb forks, they all use Gelato. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so like every, you know, 
the time will come. It's just like a matter of timing. Like hell, like I don't think, you know, with these decentralized stablecoins like Frax and others, um, I don't think they would be around without Curve. Yeah. Because like Curve is like the central primary, you know, central foundational market for all of them to trade. Well, like it, before Curve, there wasn't really significant external liquidity provision interactions, right? It was like all within a protocol. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, like Frax plays this game best. Frax has literally been the winner of the Curve game, right? So um, nice definitely. Yeah. I think that would have been impactful. Um, yeah. I'd I mean, say, I, could... I like, sorry, go on. Mm -hmm. um, I, no, you, uh, you go first. Nothing, nothing. I was going to kind of swap topics because we're on Pontango mm -hmm. and talking about integrations. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say probably mm -hmm. the one other thing that I'm, I'm most excited about is, is options. Not like, in, I mean, obviously in general. Um, <laughs> let me ask that question. Are you guys very opinionated? Are like any options protocols you actually think are, are, are worth checking out? You know, yeah. like, have you guys use options in the space yourself? Um. I haven't used options personally, but I have looked yeah. into the topic a lot because I see there an opportunity to be a lot of growth. Um, yeah. Some option, you know, uh, we had the Gamma Swap guys on uh, several months ago, and they're doing something really interesting. And you know, options are just like a whole different thing in itself to like understand it all. Um, I really like the Panoptic guys and like what yeah. they're doing with Uniswap V3. I think it's really cool and how like the background of physics majors. I'm an investor in Panoptic, so I'm biased. Oh, well, that's true. But, well, I, I had, before they invested around, I had Guillaume come on for Gitcoin Kernel. I also, like, lead oh, the cool. DeFi stuff for Gitcoin Kernel. So he came oh, sick. Chat with us. Yeah. yeah, no, I, um, I originally heard about Panoptic uh, from my friends at Arrakis, and, like, a way to hedge uh, concentrated liquidity positions was with, um, you know, with managing them. It with, was with something like Panoptic. So that's how I initially heard of them, and then I met the team. And I'm like, oh, this is like really cool. So uh, I think like options, I, I'm excited about the opportunity. That's an options. I think that that's an area for a lot of growth. Um, so do you have like, is there any reason why they suck today? Um, any reason? Liquidity? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I feel I've generally had yeah. conversations where uh, people are very interested in the option space growing. Uh, there's been like some decent growth, but there hasn't really yeah. been any thing that kind of pushes them forward yet right um yeah mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, any, any, uh, i'm just also, kind of like um sorry, sega no. sega sounds interesting with their exotic options um i'm not familiar I, sega, yeah so they were originally on solana um okay. and they're they're moving to ethereum um and so it sounds uh i have to look into it more for me to like speak about it confidently yeah yeah that's fair but yeah so um also um kids where did kid go uh, that kid, kid's back. Yeah, let's let's just roll. Yeah, like uh, options are very difficult to provide liquidity to. Um, it seems like a lot of the volume comes from arbitraging them with the centralized venue, which is why I mean I, I'm very opinionated. I think that mm -hmm. I'm I'm amazed that there hasn't really been an RFQ platform yet launched. I think Premia is doing that with their next version. Mm -hmm. uh, the only RFQ option is so GammaSwap. You're referring to the the, the open product, right? Um, I guess, maybe that, I think I, guess no, I think I, they I renamed it to Gamma Swap. Gamma. They they basically built um an inverted um v two Uniswap v two. So it's not permanent okay, loss. It's a okay. permanent gain. That's okay. From interesting. What, how, yeah, that's how I understand it. Maybe so I, I need to look yeah. in that now too because I think yeah. that uh it was probably not Gamma Swap. It's like Gamma something is what uh, Open renamed their v two to. 
which they previously uh, were the only RFQ infrastructure. It's like open, but not very open. You can only do USDC <laughs> WEF mm-hmm. and USDC Bitcoin options. Um, so in, in my mind, there does just need to be RFQ and then people arbitraging a centralized exchange. And yeah. then actually circle back to why I'm even bringing this up. Um, so options, I think, are pr- like in general, that there's an advantage in DeFi to maturing instruments in that you can take any two instruments that mature at, and guarantee that they actually mature at the exact same time, the exact same block, exact same everything. And in doing so, you can actually rehypothecate way more than you could ever potentially in any other context. So the first example is what we're working on immediately ourselves. We're calling them illuminated options, which are options that are underwritten by principal tokens. Okay. Where you have a principal token, you know, let's say it's a uh, thousand principal tokens that mature on December 31st. So on December 31st, you will have a thousand dollars and you can take that and then underwrite an ETH option at a thousand dollars, let's say, right. And all of a sudden you're doing something that cannot be replicated on a centralized exchange. You're underwriting an option and you're, you're, you're lending at a fixed rate at the same time or selling interest rate volatility, depending on the way you look at it. That's some compossibility uh, right there. Yeah, and and th- there's an actual value proposition. Yeah, right. Like, we're able to if the if options sellers are earning ten percent, and we're able to offer them three to four percent, we're increasing their yields by upwards of forty percent on their on their on their premiums. Um, and if they're earning so much more on this aggregated premium because they get both legs, then whoever's actually buying the option likely gets a discount on their leg as well. So. Like we're able to give this very strong value proposition to anyone on an decentralized exchange, which is, hey, we're able to pay you upwards of 40% more for your option. You're just getting 40% more premiums. And then the people buying them, they're able to get a discount too. Wait, can uh, you break down how uh, yeah. people are getting 40% more? Please. Yeah, that's, yeah. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Like, so, so let's say today you're able to sell an, an ETH put like way out of the, or ETH, yeah, ETH put way out of the money. Um, mm-hmm. at, you know, a thousand dollars, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you might only earn, honestly, today, a thousand dollars, you probably only earn a percent or two at that, mm-hmm. like, cause it's way out of the money. Maybe, maybe more, I honestly don't know. Um, but let's say you're earning 5%. Well, or let's ease your numbers. Let's say you're earning 10% on the option APY, right? That's closer to what ribbon earns on a regular basis. Um, if then you take that capital that otherwise would be strictly underwriting this option, and you go to Illuminate and you simply click a button that allows to, instead of directly underwriting the option, you underwrite it with the principal tokens. What effectively happens is, is the, the USDC will go in, purchase the principal tokens from Illuminate, which then, that's one leg you might be earning for right now. The rate is actually 5.2%. Um, and then okay. right after that, it goes and it contacts uh, one of our partner market makers, or I mean, we plan to do this ourselves. Maybe Premia just cuts in front of us and we end up partnering with them instead. Um, but contact uh, GSR, CMT, the large like uh, options market makers, and they just simply arbitrage you and Derivit. Um, so at that point, you're earning this lending leg and the options leg on chain at the same time. Uh, they're very happy to provide this liquidity to you because they actually get to arbitrage and make some significant guaranteed profits themselves, these market makers, looking at your price and Deribit. And everybody at that point is earning a ton more than they otherwise would if they'd just been sitting there using Deribit itself. Um, 
again, and I don't to, really, yeah, go on. Is it, just to clarify a little bit here. So you're saying instead of using USDC and underwriting the vault straight out, you actually use, you know, um, for a lack of a better token, like IUSDC, Illuminate USDC that is put into a principal token. And then you use that principal Precisely. token as collateral to underwrite. And then the market maker will totally take that and arbit against whatever the $1,000 uh, put on Deribit. And they just print that all day. Yep. Okay. So, so where does and, that and they're happy to 4%? Do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. For the principal token, the, the 4%, where does that come from? Uh, it, right now, it comes from every fixed yield protocol. It's, it's, it's originated across all of those different folks. So whoever is providing the best yield at that point in time um, will essentially be being routed that liquidity. Usually there's like, I haven't even gotten into like the mechanics, honestly, of Illuminate. Um, usually that should actually directly be our aggregated principal token rather than anyone externally. Um, and there's like, there, there's a lot of impact from this. Obviously, I, I do think that it's very attractive. You can give people a hard value proposition. Hey, you just make more money. That should onboard people. Um, but there's just so much more that can be built too. It's yeah. Just, I don't so, know, so let's break down. Like, you, how does Illuminate work? Like, what are the mechanic mechanics that make Illuminate function? Um, so, it arbitrage is actually like the most important thing. We rely most on external actors. Um, and then the core mechanic is most similar to something like a meta stable coin where I, do, do you guys remember DeFi dollar or M stable? I re yeah. M stable. Yeah. They yeah, shut so down recently. The, the idea behind most of these folks and I, M stable, I think had some other concepts behind it, but one of the core ideas is that you could hold it back. Like you could, you could mint any stable coin out of a basket into this mm -hmm. meta stable coin. And okay, the idea is like the kind of the original thought on, on diversification. Hey, now you're holding a basket. It should be less risky because if USDT is trash, then at least you have 80% of your capital. Um, and they failed over time because people did perceive that, you know, USDC was Lindy, right? Um, but this is far more applicable and stable in, in markets where the price isn't actually benchmarked to $1, right? So in this case, the question that needs to be asked is, okay, or rather, let me, let me specifically what the mechanism is. The mechanism effectively allows any external principal token across all of those protocols, Notional, Pendle, Element, uh, Swivel, et cetera, to be wrapped at a one-to-one -one basis into this meta stable coin. And the, uh, you know, at any given point, the meta stable coin is backed. It has capital there to be redeemed because it has the external principal tokens. And the question becomes, when does a user take an external principal token and wrap it into the metal one? Why would that ever make sense? And the answer is, well, if you can gain some value from that process. So if at any given point in time, the meta stable coin trades at a higher price than an, any external protocol, an arbitrageur comes in, purchases the external principal token, wraps it into the meta stable coin and sells it for an immediate profit. And because of this arbitrage process, what ends up happening is at any given point in time, there is a rough equilibrium between whoever has the cheapest principal token and this aggregated meta token, right? Because otherwise it would be being arbitraged down. Um, and that's, this is extremely important. This establishes us not just as an off-chain route of liquidity, but as an interface on-chain that anyone can access 
and it gives them an actual guarantee that they get that best rate, right? Arbitrageurs are bringing in liquidity from every protocol to generate that yield for them. And arbitrageurs also are effectively guaranteeing that the metastable coin is always benchmarked to the best rate on the market or the meta, meta principal token. Um, and again, like it's kind of unique, uh, but also very the mechanic itself is very simple. All we do is we wrap principal tokens into our meta principal token. Uh, and the rest is like a bunch of cool, you know, more financial uh, workings, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Where do the arbitragers come from? Like, how are you going to attract them? Uh, I mean, arbitrage is free. So like, yeah, sure. right. Yeah. Like if money is there, people will come. Um, right now. If you now, build it, they will come. If, if, if well, like when you, this was our initial point actually, right. That there was not any way to arbitrage fixed rates until now. Right. Mm-hmm. And now there is a way to take a, the rate on cents and trade it against our principal token. And because of that, there's a way for there to be a wider ecosystem. Same with Notional. Um, we launched on Thursday, and within 12 hours, we were the largest Notional depositor within any like any 24-hour time frame. Um, their rate was arbitraged down to our aggregated rate. And then since, who had seen like almost nobody deposit to their stablecoin market this month, immediately had their stablecoin fixed rate drop from 8.9% down to 5.5 with the rest of the market. Mm. So like it's it's so you're like the first power user. Yeah, we're we're the first power user across all these protocols, and all of that is effectively just being driven by this arbitrage that's already happening. Um, so it's like it's yeah. really cool. Honestly, it's mostly was theory crafted for months, right? So it's really exciting to actually see happen. And so, so I actually so want to get into. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, get. Um, I mean, this is so interesting. So that's why I have a ton of questions here. And for the principal token from say project A and principal token from project B, you take all of these yeah. principal tokens in and then you create the meta principal token, um, right? And then Correct. now if one of the, if I were to be, you know, a principal token holder of any of these projects and I recognize that like, oh, I could actually wrap my principal token for more because the current yield is, is higher, right? I, I could arb that, then I would totally go in there and wrap it, right? So that way I can kind of yeah. quote unquote lock in those gains or, or bring it back in line. Um, and, and that's kind of how it, it yep. drives. So after that, after I hold these meta principal tokens, you know, where does the user go from there? I, I can see the, the reasoning and the demand for wrapping it, but you know, after that, what, what else do they just sit and hold or what are you wishing uh, you sell to it do with it? You, you sell it. Yeah. Like if, if, if you're doing the wrapping process directly, you sell it and then you initiate your, if you like really just want to hold the position externally, you sell it, make an immediate profit. Let's say if like the illuminate principal token is trading at 95 cents and uh, swivel is trading at 93 cents, right? You're a user on mm-hmm. swivel. You already have a bunch of principal tokens. You just wrap them, sell them and reinitiate your position um, on swivel. Oh, okay. And you know, it, th- this is like very, very profitable for people in there. Um, and, and the core is like, okay, I might not know that this is the best rate for the rest of time within this market, right? But I know that this is the best rate right now. And so if the value statement, if you're a lender is, I'm just trying to get the best rate right now, we do guarantee people that value proposition. Right? Got it. 
I was going to ask about um, your collaboration with Frax and what you're doing with, with S-Frax Seath um, cool. a bit more. Uh, can you go into detail about that collaboration? Yeah, there's, there's a few things. Um, directly, like the first, the first step starts with Swivel. And, mm -hmm. But there's also other protocols that have been getting into the Frax ecosystem, which make things a lot more fun and, and reasonable for us to start getting an aggregation too. Um, so first and, first and foremost, right, we are launching a staked Frax ETH market on Swivel to provide Frax stakers with a fixed rate option, I believe tomorrow. Um, oh, wow. Devs, yeah, I believe tomorrow. Um, we're, we don't have an article ready for it yet. So like the fanfare will lucky come around Thursday. But like, yeah, like I believe the tech side is done tomorrow. Um, and that in itself will provide people with a pretty attractive fixed stake yield, right? This is it's very important to provide people alternate options rather than just something volatile. Um, very simple. However, I think there's a lot more, a lot more we can do in terms of pushing the yield. The advantage that Frax has is they're, they're onboarding people that are just trying to get, I think it's like, a, honestly, about 30% increase over Lido at the moment. Um, and finding, targeting that market and boosting those yields will continue to onboard people. So something that we had previously planned, very hard plans with Euler and Frax with, was a, a tandem market that allows people to get a fixed yield, not just on the staking leg, but on the lending leg at the same time. And um, we're, we're likely trying to boost this with Silo at the moment um, mm -hmm. because, you know, you know, of ongoing Euler issues. Um, and similarly, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to then push, push the, the staking yield to above 10%. Uh, I, I think it's personally much more attractive to stake at around 10% than, you know, kind of accept 4.5% variable on Lido. So that's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, I mean, honestly, a larger market we're targeting beyond beyond just staked Frax ETH, but staking staking in general. Um, mm -hmm. on, could on you the, use, could yeah, you use FraxLend to uh, like build these types of products as well? I've been, I haven't talked to Sam in a couple months. Uh, I, I am very confused why they're, not confused, because it makes sense if we're trying, if, if the goal is to try to just push Frax itself. Mm -hmm. I'm confused why there isn't a Frax ETH, FraxLend market. And I'm, I'm, let me clarify, I don't mean like, put up Frax ETH as collateral and then borrow Frax with it. I want to borrow Frax ETH and I want to, or like borrow ETH or like essentially just have a more liquid market that allows there to be yield generation itself for that staked Frax ETH. Um, I don't think it's been proposed yet, to be honest. I, I, it's probably on me. I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I've just had my hands full. Yeah, go for it. Uh, just hop in. I've talked about this. Multiple You're real quiet. You're real quiet. Uh, this is better. Um, I've talked about this yeah. multiple times with Sam. I brought it up in chat, and I think the general consensus right now is that it's still early, right. and um, there, when, when you start allowing like that amount of leverage to enter the system, right? Because in theory, you would probably be able to get up to 10x or maybe 15x leverage, depending on where they set the LTVs. Um, yeah. I think there's a yeah. little bit of trepidation in thinking, oh, what would be what would happen if a big liquidation occurred? Right. What if we had to unwind quickly, right? And we have all this. Oh, we have, we have this big liquidation that's going through curve. It it pushes the peg off, and then something happens. But that's just my two cents. I'll let you guys discuss. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested actually in that point of view because I think that's a the, the as a liquidity provider, if 
that happens, I'm pumped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you're from, just earning <laughs> you're earning more fees. Yeah, or or even let's say if I'm a big fan of of Frex ETH, then I exit my LP and I've essentially just bought them at a discount. Um, like I get I get it actually because at the end of the day, a lot of people have historically looked at like the, this one to one peg and seen, hey, is this reliable enough for me to put my money in? Um, God, I, I'm one of the winners slash I didn't actually mind all of the staked ETH DPEGs. I just was like buying them. So maybe I'm not the best person to uh, like kind of consider that, I suppose. Um, (laughs) But that was the same concern though. I'll say like, we talked with Silo recently. That was the same concern they had. Um, Not necessarily was the peg, but was like the liquidation routes and the like reliability of the Oracle as well. Um, yeah. Like there is still no, uh, chain link Oracle available. So I believe yeah. there's like, yeah, we, I don't, I haven't, they asked the Frax team what they were doing for Frax lend and how they're liquidating stake Frax ETH. So there is an answer there. I just haven't read it yet, but yeah. It might be, I'm not sure what it is yet. Um, but Anyways, um, outside of Frax, you mentioned there you're building a Frax markets as well. Can you go into that? Uh, yeah, and I think I think there is reasonable opportunity for aggregation, um, right? So staked Frax ETH, Pendle has a market, Illuminate has a market, or rather, for Swivel has a market. Um, we're actually also I'll just really quick show for this. We for our ambassador program, we also included staked Frax ETH. Um, mm. For, for our ambassadors, we rewarded everybody with a long position on Swivel itself. So you've essentially taken a fixed rate, and within a certain number of days, you can actually redeem it. So it's, that's all backed by StakeFactSafe as well. Uh, but as, as far as aggregation goes in the wider ecosystem, there is a massive opportunity for Frax to participate here because there are already markets live. Um, StakeFactSafe will continue to get markets live because it does strictly offer the best yield even above Aura or any other LP programs. Um, and then Frax itself can continue to be proliferated. It's already up on yield. We would be opening to launching a market on Swivel. Um, the big question is just liquidity there, right? Mm-hmm. So I I think I get, this does come down more to, to governance and, and launching gauges for these other projects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there is this massive opportunity to, to gauge in fixed yields. There's nobody else that's really significantly providing liquidity. Even let's say a 10 million commitment and like like getting 10 million into fixed yields would all of a sudden mean that Frax is a dominant figure in the space. Um, mm-hmm. And if there is to be this wider growth from all of the stories I'm talking about, you know, establishing oneself is obviously very beneficial. So yeah, yeah there's a there's a window here. Uh, there's already markets live. It just kind of requires there to be some incentivization and a little bit of more built out and. Yeah, you all know of a sudden you add velo- you add velocity to the flywheel. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it becomes massive. Um, if there is it, one of the main points I do try to make with Illuminate is that we are already starting to own every single piece of the liquidity stack, other than strictly swaps. Right? When you talk about lending and borrowing, um, this is strictly we are aggregating all fixed rate lending and borrowing. We're aggregating staking. We are aggregating and, and serving as we, we, there's no real reason why you should look at options in the next couple of years and not get additional yield on it. You know, we have these partnerships in place. You, you can look at expirable futures. Um, essentially, 
every single financial instrument other than Uniswap, right, can can begin to be covered by fixed yields. And it you know, obviously at that point, there is some large incentive to participate early and ensure that you are part of that core of the ecosystem for sure. What happens if you participate early? Oh, oh, uh, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh. There's no guarantee token, okay, right? Um, what, what I would say is that anytime you have an ecosystem that is this wide and large, um, and anytime there are efforts that require the coordination of multiple parties, you end up with a token in place. Um, so mm. there's no plans for a token <laughs> right now, right? Being mm. strictly clear about that. Um, but there is some inevitability in terms of the design and direction we're going and that there will need to be arbitration processes, right? Mm. How do, if we're the only ones that anyone is ever integrating with, how do we decide what principal tokens are like mm -hmm. acceptable within the aggregated bas basket, right? This, this can't be done by me because right now it would just be like me. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I'd say there. Yeah, the, wink, wink, provide liquidity, no guarantee of anything, right? But um, it's obviously very beneficial. And, you know, at this point, the yields are decent. Uh, the yields are about, you know, when you enter the position, you get about 5% on the principal token leg. And then the provision of liquidity is about 8% in addition to that. Nice. A nice, solid, reliable Can you walk yield. us through a, a little bit of that? Yeah. How does one provide liquidity on Illuminate? Um, well, honestly, we've made it very simple. Um, we're making it even more simple with an upcoming auto roller release, but you literally just go, you choose, choose the market right now. There's literally only one market live. It's just USDC that matures in July. Um, and it, it effectively, we, we provide a convenience method that purchases principal tokens precisely to the exact amount that you need. Um, and then immediately provides liquidity to them. So you can do this in one button. Um, if you want to do it most effectively, you go to the UI, you lend a bunch of capital, however much you think you might need, and then you go and taking notes, taking notes. Okay. <laughs> so if I had like um, hundred USDC, I go to illuminate, there's a one click button that yeah. would then purchase, you know, you go to you pool know, X percent of PT, and then I would have one minus X of the USDC, and then I would put it together into the pool. It, it does it, it all does that in one transaction. So you don't even have to worry. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I'm wondering what cross chain stuff Illuminate has planned in the future because you know I'm we live in a multi chain world. We have L2s, BSC, BNB chain still dominates. Matic has a ton of traction, and other ones as well. Um, how does Illuminate fit into this cross chain world? Yeah, um, difficultly at first, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'd say there's there's a few steps to this. One like. Swivel immediately, we, we, our next version is going cross-chain. We need to focus on staking products, and this includes BNB, you know, um, Matic, AVAX, wherever, really. And Are you guys going to be on Barachain? <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. Um, yeah. Like, one of the value propositions that Illuminate, or like Swivel has, is uh, specifically for the Cosmos zone, there will be significant volatility surrounding these staking uh, products because... You know, let's say DYDX just has a bunch of market volatility one day. All of a sudden, there's like ADX demand to trade on their platform. And obviously, block space within their their uh, Cosmos zone is going to be more expensive. So stuff like that is interesting. Um, but th there's as well, there's growth within the staking derivatives on all these chains. And then there just needs to be um, 
honestly, my biggest thought is wider growth of layer twos. And obviously people have been saying this for a long time, but the, the only takeaway I could really have from the Euler hack is that there needs to be further fail safes put in place for every protocol. And honestly, mm -hmm. these are not viable on layer one. Um, you can't like, we have one layer of rate limiting on Illuminate, um, but you can't rate limit every individual integration. You can't rate limit every single uh, currency. You can't add in a ton of circuit breakers. You can't modulize all your custody. Essentially, there's a bunch you can build that just doesn't work. Um, and I don't know, as an, as an integrator, it is very difficult to swallow the fact that Euler got hacked, right? Um, mm. they, there's, they, every single heuristic that was available for the safety of a protocol essentially had been passed. Um, like they had reached like 500 million previously. They weren't at their highest peak currently, right? So it's not like there was the max loss. Um, they had gone through a bajillion audits. They have a large bug bounty, essentially everything possible. Um, and so this really does just leave the conclusion that you need to push a bunch of liquidity to layer two. So on Illuminate, we will likely be AESAP going to layer two and essentially working with teams that are doing this. Um, there's a money market that we're working with. It's actually the guys are, one of the guys from Fract or from, uh, sorry, from, from Rari are relaunching it with a variance and a lot more control. One of the things being, can, yeah, control of the rate limiting of your pool, which like, that sounds good to me. Um, and yeah, sorry. So I'll how do we encourage, how do we encourage more liquidity to layer two? Because I see this as a necessary one-way path for DeFi to take and that, you know, that people want to see, but how do we get there? That's a good question. <laughs> as of right now, there hasn't really been anything that has proven to work is what I'd say. The only thing that has actually worked is GMX growing and mm -hmm. then people building products that build on GMX. I say GMX has the perfect product market fit, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, they yeah. really hit it out of the park at the perfect time, literally like the BitMEX of this bear market. And I wasn't even like, I'm not even a fan, <laughs> but like I, they, they did do a great job. <laughs> I, I, and I like, I the, the reason I'm not a fan, I didn't buy, I'm, I never bought. <laughs> um, Salty, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just like it was another it was another perp market at first. You know, that's the first look at it. Um, and but it was but narrator. But it wasn't another perp market. <laughs> well, and also I think it they bring up the importance of advertising. Um, I, I will the even refer links. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Pendle I will call out as reforming their protocol, and um, it, they didn't actually change anything about the protocol. They just changed the way they're marketing, and all of a sudden they're relevant, and it kind of was weird. Um, so like, I mean, that's all it takes is like a, a change in messaging. Yeah, it, it, they, they went from calling it fixed rate lending to calling it buying assets at a discount. So now like if you if you want GMX, you go to Pendle and you buy it at a discount. At a discount. Yeah. Some words of wisdom, words of advice for people and builders out there. Make it sound yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's Direct. where I fucked up a lot of the time. Um, so, so again, where guys, else do you think you fucked up? Ooh. Uh, Business development is most difficult, I'd say, right? I know. Um, As a professional yeah. in that area, it, it's hard because it's soft skills and trying to like, you know, being able to be a social organ for an advanced product, whether it's in DeFi, whether it's in infrastructure and having proper reach out um, and, you know, knowing who you're reaching out to, whether it's like a retail user base or like 
you know, different customers or, you know, different protocols. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think it's probably the most difficult job to find real talent in in DeFi. And we, yes. we like I've been able to onboard like and I've talked to other founders. They've had problems with their dev team. So maybe not. But our dev team has always been amazing. Um, it's just so much more difficult to really, really find people that are going to do everything, right? Like I need yeah. a mini me and that's never gonna happen. Um, but but yeah. beyond that, where have I really fucked up? I think mistakes have come down to, you know, choices of integrations and mm. uh, timing of things, right? Like we raised at bad times, we launched at a bad time. Right. And this has really hurt our growth as things have kind of progressed over time, stuff like that. And then like, like spending a bunch of time last year, getting ready to prepare to launch to Arbitrum with Rari and then that happening with Rari, like, and, and then like spending a bunch of time preparing, like, and, and partnering with Euler and everything. And like, we'll see where that goes. Um, these, these, like, these have honestly, like, third time's us. a charm. Third time's yeah, a charm. Like, these guys, these things have kind of killed us to an extent. We 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 were pushing really hard for this layer mm. two launch last year, um, and shit, we would have gotten a lot of tokens for that too. Now that I think about it, yeah. it's double screw this. But yeah, um, yeah, like th these mistakes can happen. Um, I think they are just natural, and, and I think uh, I mean we luckily you've you know our marketing team. We got Big D and Wartooth and everybody and, yeah. and Bones around, yeah. right? Like you have so a great team. You, the, you do have an yeah. all-star team around that, so. You know, have you guys done a good job there? Yeah, and it's it's working out at least at first now, right? Like the, the Illuminate message and story is is much bigger than Swivels. Um, we are owning so much infrastructure, and it does require a lot more help when it comes to actually coordinating everything. Yeah. So, what does the roadmap look like for Illuminate in the coming months? Yeah. Um, so immediately, the goal we're in a guarded launch right now. Um, it's only $200,000 a day that even can be deposited. So we're slowly rolling that off. The goal is to kind of hit a threshold of liquidity, right? The, the most important thing for the fixed rate space, not even just us, but is, is us hitting, let's say five to $10 million, somewhere in that range mm -hmm. so that there can be products built and all of these stories that I'm saying can really come true. Um, so like our, our core focus immediately is, is purely acquiring this minimal amount of liquidity that can validate, um, let's say maker deploying significant liquidity or urine deploying significant liquidity. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll actually specifically talk about this cause it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting and I'll get back to the roadmap. I, I won't forget. Um, but is that these parties have very topical issues. They essentially would love to deploy capital to fixed rates. In fact, fixed rates are beating out whatever rates can be offered right now. So it even just like, of course it makes sense for them. The issue is that they are essentially banks, right? Yearn, Maker, et cetera. They have to deal with the fact that at some point there could be a bank run on their protocol. And like SVB, like Credit Suisse, if they're stuck holding a bunch of principal tokens and 50% of their TVL is you know, lost overnight, they have to sell those principal tokens potentially at a loss. And there needs to be liquidity there to sell against, right? So they are very restricted, but there is very easy targets for us to hit, right? For every certain amount of liquidity, we can guarantee that these entities will be deploying even further. Uh, that's immediate roadmap is just to make sure that that can all happen. Um, immediately after that, we're launching our auto roller product, 
So essentially, we need to make sure that whatever liquidity we do get in can be sticky and stay there forever without people needing to manage it. Mm -hmm. And then ASAP, there's there's two things. Um, there's the launch of Swivel V4, which is that the stacked Frax ETH and, and Euler silo product and this launch focus on staking and cross-chain interactions. Um, and immediately following that, we and of course, we've got kind of a lot going on here. Um, immediately after that, we have the options, which hmm. obviously is pretty exciting. Um, Big opportunity. We're trying to onboard user groups that haven't really been onboarded. Like there's there's lenders that want higher yields, and then there's um, options underwriters that just want more pre premiums. So there's kind of different people there for us to touch upon for sure. So this is one of Kit's favorite questions, but what does success look like for Illuminate? Man, uh, we, yeah, one of our investors said this, and I, I mean, I agree. We're not aiming to be like a billion dollar protocol, right? Um, this is this is like a 10, we're trying to be like a $10 billion protocol um, or more. This is a product that has the opportunity to push not just fixed rates forward, but the option space, which that was why I asked all these questions about why options suck, because mm -hmm. I needed to get you guys to say, hey, options suck, um, can, can push that forward. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> expirables, like all of these things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. They are hamstrung right now. And success for me means that they actually exist. That's like, in my mind, fixed rates just strictly do not exist within a couple of years as these projects mm -hmm. run out of capital if we don't launch successfully. Um, expirables very future, very clearly, uh, they, they are completely bottlenecked by our liquidity. They won't exist, you know, options, Pinoptic is doing some cool stuff. Maybe that can exist in a vacuum, but I don't see still any reason for many people to trade on chain, uh, most options, uh, other than if they're like worried about jurisdictional stuff, which does, there's a reason there, there's reasons, um, but yeah. That success for me is like actually winning and making all this stuff actually happen. Got it. And then yeah. on the uh, counter side of that, Julian, what are some of the biggest risks you see today? What's keeping you up at night? Oh man, uh, <laughs> these the the oil, uh, people people <laughs> like yeah to an extent. Like I was going to say the Euler stuff and, and these upgradable contracts, essentially the risks surrounding all these integrations. Um, but it's been clear at this point that, I mean, I've avoided actually, I've been here since the start, like since the start of DeFi, I've never been, I've never actually lost money in a hack. Um, all that I've been hit by was Euler, all that money should be returned. Uh, Rari, all that money should be returned. But both of those have issues with people very clearly is like that's the kind of the friction there the layer zero yeah and then the last one was uh was was sherlock where i deposited money in sherlock and then they had deposited money in maple and maple had given all that money to uh orthogonal so uh... like that's very clearly a people issue too um i again i just don't know if i trust most of our partners anymore which sucks um, you know, wow. I, I, that means I need rate limiting in code because like, trust the code, not people. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Trust the code. Not, not any, not me. Trust the code. Not me. Yeah. Trust, trust code, not people. That's it. Um, 
Kit, did you have any other questions or should we get to the uh, the fire round? Let's get the lightning to the fire round. round. <laughs> so, um, so lightning round or fire round? It's a lightning round. Fire seems scary, but no, it's just a, a series of questions yeah. that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm Dave and I burned like onto to... the coals. <laughs> nah, nah, we're good. We're good. We like you. We like the swivel. We like the Julian. Um, so at the end of these, we like to ask a series of lightning round questions just to get to know the human behind the builder, you know, the man the behind person. the legend. Yes. So Julian, first question for me is when did you first touch the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience and sex don't count? Interesting. Uh, man, I'm assuming using it, using anything on chain doesn't count or rather off chain doesn't count like a centralized exchange. Correct. So my first actual experience was getting scammed using a Bitcoin mixer in like 2016. Whoa. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was That's trying a good to... one. That's a good one. <laughs> Tumble safely. Uh, I, I had, I had no money. It wasn't all my money either. Um, it was like a hundred dollars was mine and three hundred dollars was other people, and uh, I had to lie to them and tell them that it had been lost and like it was just like something with, like it's coming. They're gonna come after you. Boating accident. Yeah, Boating accident. <laughs> I had to make the money up over the course of a couple weeks to make like because I didn't I couldn't let them know that like they were finally trusting crypto and me and like all this and then I literally just lost their money in a Bitcoin mixer. It was like a fake mixer, <laughs> fake link. Um, Rugged. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very fun. Um, second question is, what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? What are some of your hobbies and interests? Ooh, touching d does touching grass mean only outside or like like no. hobbies and interests? Or you see the piano back there. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've got bees at this point. I consider myself more of a uh, uh, collector than than musician because uh, I don't know. I just don't find time for it. Um, I'd say I spend the most time outside of building, playing playing games. You know, I mentioned it earlier. I, I used to play games professionally. These days, I play I play Overwatch. I just got to Grandmaster One actually, so I'm almost wow. in the nice. top 500. Oh. Almost there. Wow. Um, and yeah, I, I'm surprising to most people that in any other industry, I don't think that would get me much. In this one, it gets me some clout. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my brother is yeah. actually also close so, <laughs> to, to that level. <laughs> yeah, it's close, man. It's like yeah. I I don't know. It's a little bit too sweaty for me to go to that next one. I think uh, we'll see. Yeah. So Julian, what would be some advice to your younger self? Ooh, <laughs> play less Overwatch. Uh, you know, <laughs> probably. Um, no, like just t take things one day at a time. I think this is something very important for most crypto founders in general, is that people get very overwhelmed with everything that's facing them. Um, when at the end of the day, you're not going to be a crypto founder unless you are the person that just lives and does this anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So w when you start to just take things one day at a time, you just end up doing all the work. It just ends up getting done. Um, assuming you're the responsible person to begin with, I suppose. Right. Um, and that's really important. A lot of people that I've met, especially early founders, really stress out about like this task didn't get done today. I as fucked. I'm fucked. I'm irresponsible now. Well, like, no, just get it all done. The most important thing in crypto is just getting your stuff out there not at all being perfect. Um, not like it. it not even anything getting the release date right and i think this extends down to my developers and not to everybody and makes working with us actually reasonable and more like a real company right 
Um, I make sure to give us deadlines. It's not the biggest deal if we miss the deadlines, right? Because that's reality in Web3. You just have to deal with it. Um, and nobody's ever going to get like, I mean, that's not true. If we really got behind, I'd be pissed, but we've never been behind to any extent that I've actually needed to. <laughs> got it. And uh, the last question to close us out here is a second. I want to second to last and oh, I have okay. another question. A second last. Got <laughs> okay. it. Yeah. So last one for me, uh, Julian, is if you weren't in crypto finance or playing video games professionally, what would you be doing with your career right now? Man, I was uh, I was screwed. All right. Like, again, I have a degree in psychology, man. All right. Um, it's I, so, so the, 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 how I got here was that I had been living in South Carolina, paying nothing for rent. And then my mom told me she could get me a job in Maryland. So I moved up to Maryland and I've actually I started the project at the same time. So I haven't gotten a chance to move out and I've been here ever since. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would I be doing? I'd probably be like I'd probably be working in the government doing some really low level bitch work. I live around the D.C. area. Um, and mm -hmm. I'd slowly be trying to work my way up into a relevant position. Previously, I had been applying to like work around crypto regulation, but at the time, crypto regulation wasn't a thing. So, uh, you know, timing's everything, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and last question for me, uh, who would you recommend to have on as a podcast podcast guest next? Ooh, um, have you had on Cozy anytime recently from Premia? Oh, that would be a really good one. I have not, but I'm friends with you Cozy. Should. They're they're having they're dropping a new release, uh, Premia V3 next month. Um, oh, that'd be perfect. It touches on some of the stuff I did, uh, like the RFQ Sweet. for options. That's like one big thing they're building. Um, so if there's any like interest in options there, I think they'd probably be the they're probably doing yeah. some of the cooler stuff. In actual options, not replicated options, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna see Cozy in Japan, so I'll be like, "Oh, you're uh, headed to Japan? Well, when is everyone there. actually heading out?" A bunch of people are there now, and you know, I'm heading there tomorrow with a few people. Okay. Will so. you be? I assume not around New York afterwards. No, I'm doing like a I'm doing like a mini world tour. Actually, okay. okay. Yeah, uh, there'll Just be a alpha. There's gonna be where there is. For those listeners in Hong Kong, we're likely to have an event there. So be on the lookout for that. Well, we'll also, I mean, I'm trying to get this together. I don't know how much of the team you guys have in Serbia, but we're getting together ETH Belgrade. So that'll, oh, that'll be dope. a thing at some point. Yeah, that'll be a thing at some point. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Sweet. Well, Julian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, excited to see where Illuminate goes and brightens up DeFi in its own way. Uh, thank you, and we'll see you soon. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate yeah, it. enjoy Tokyo. Hello, and welcome to the post game. I'm Sam, and I'm joined with my two esteemed colleagues, DeFi Dave and Capital K. Uh, also and you join with one more. We have a special <laughs> guest. We have a special guest who's coming along for the show. Can't hear anything, but it's okay. Um, so yeah, what a cool podcast, guys. I, very insightful. I actually learned a lot here. Um, what were your big takeaways? My biggest takeaway was that in order for a market to form, there needs to be a reason for the market to exist. And that sounds like very basic, but right now, the, the problem with these like interest rate markets and you know all these different derivatives, 
is that there's no liquidity and there's no incentive for it to exist on chain as it is. There needs to be a venue for it. The reason why Uniswap took off was because people could arbor against the centralized exchange and later sushi swap. Sushi swap. And so that's mouthful. Sushi swap. Anyways, what Illuminate is trying to do is actually create a market for all these different fixed rate protocols and there just be one location. So once you have enough, you know, accumulate enough liquidity in one location, in theory, arbitrageurs should come and create that market. Chicken and egg. Chicken, chicken and, egg. and egg. The classic chicken egg. Yeah. Simple <laughs> chicken egg problem. Thank you. So what kind of liquidity do they need? Do they need dollars or ETH or what? I guess it depends on the market. I think it's both. I think it's both. As long as there's both. enough. Yeah. He, he, his target was like 7 mil, right? Just to get enough proof mm -hmm. of concept out there to have arbitrageurs and market makers excited enough to participate. Uh, but one thing I wanted to add to Dave's point earlier was that, you, you know. Wait, wait, uh, wait. Before, we, before we jump to your next point, Kate, can I ask one question? Is like, is that is that AMO that I'm thinking? Or is that, am I not right in that? Oh, I mean, can Frax provide $7 million for favorable terms from them? Much like what, uh, what's it did? Um, like Clever did, right? So they provide liquidity for a specific amount of time. And then in return, Frax receives an allocation of tokens. Oh, that's interesting. Linearly, if they have tokens. If they have tokens, if and when they have tokens, right? If not, then they can just get like fees or something. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Possible. Anyways, future BD ideas. Uh, keep keep it in keep okay. it in mind. We'll 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 have a chat. Wait, <laughs> kid. What were you saying? Sam just nerd me. <laughs> Sam just nerd I'm sorry. Me, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Give me a second. Let me come back to my my thing. Was um, uh, Dave said during the call that they had a market product fit, and I really like that because. Mm -hmm. In TradFi, fixed income and, and fixed yields is like the number one thing. It's like bigger than almost other markets except for the derivatives and forex <laughs> market. But like, okay, that's the market, right? And then DeFi tries to build this product for it, but yet there are no users kind of demanding it. So it goes back to that. Like yeah, said, there's no users. Problem. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so damn complicated. There's more protocols than users. Yeah. Yes. Th literally, there are more protocols than users. So in my mind, I was always kind of bearish on that. But this new application of it seems like the unifier across the board because you can't have eight different principal tokens. That would be like having eight different U.S. treasury bonds that has the same expiry or like two days difference expiry or denoted in, you know, instead of being at a thousand dollar par, it's like a hundred dollar par. Like it's all these little nuances. It's because of permissionless innovation in crypto that it allows for this. And, you know, chop and dice up, mm -hmm. but there comes a need for an aggregator to step in and unify everybody. So that's why I think Illuminate is uh, yeah. has a clear product market fit, but I just don't know how large that market is today. And another primitive with market product fit is options. There's like a ton of different options protocols, but mm -hmm. none have really taken off in a big way like Uniswap just yet. And so, you know, they, they realize like, oh, like, but with what, what we're building, we can actually create this options primitive. And I have to like let that marinate in my head more, how like you can earn like 40% on your premiums. But um, it just, you know, it sounded interesting, like the different oh. money Legos that could be built on top of, yeah, go ahead. 
let me just explain to you where that four percent comes from. So normally, right now, if you were to underwrite, was it forty percent? Yeah, it was. Well, it was technically if you're only earning ten on your options that you sold for the premium, and but if you own another four percent on top of that, that is a forty percent bump. But the way you get that four percent is instead of using USDC, you just use an interest-bearing USDC. That's it, and that interest-bearing is four percent. That's where you got that. Okay. Like imagine using your collateral that earns yield that lets you speculate on top of that or hedge with your uh, options. So that's where you get the extra boost for it to come in. So kind of vanilla there. Um, does, does that make sense? I wonder what the risk a little a little bit. Honestly, no. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have <laughs> okay. to think about it more. All right, off chain, uh, <laughs> off chain. We'll talk about it off chain. Um, off chain. I was thinking about. I mean, what are the risks associated with like, you know, stacking derivatives like that? So for, for me, risk, right? uh, aside from the, the crypto side of stuff, for, for me, I feel um, it's you're only as strong as your weakest link in the basket. Because, yes, even though mm-hmm. one principal token can go bust and then all the basket is still OK, but you're now, say, down like you know, 5% or 10% of what is supposed to be a dollar. Now it's 95. And that's the tricky thing with targeting the stable coin market, right? Is that if you, there's no, you know, like it's not a spectrum, it's zero or one. Like you have to be a dollar. If you're not a dollar, you're not a dollar. So that's the kind of like the razor sharp edge that stable coin protocols have to deal with. And it's just that much harder. That's why I think he may want to, or swivel and illuminate may target ETH markets more. Because one ETH is one ETH, mm-hmm. you know, like the price fluctuates, the price fluctuates. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So for our listeners at home, what should they take away and what are some things that they could do after this episode? Use Illuminate. <laughs> Provide liquidity. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Like, I don't think he could yeah. be any more yeah. clear and explicit. At least do that, but also really learn about like what it means by the time value of crypto, right? I don't think everyone yeah. has really understood that. And because in crypto, there are many different levels to it, right? The time value of holding ETH is different than the time value of holding USDC, which is different than holding, you know, the time value of FXS. So users first can understand yeah. that from first principles and then go look at products like Swivel or um, uh, Illuminate, Um but before you do any of that, I, you know, eight, yeah, LP blindly. <laughs> yeah, I think this is what the uh, Gamma Swap guys are saying: is like everything has a a, a natural risk free rate, right? Correct. Like, correct. For whatever asset you have, doesn't even matter if it's dollar, right? It has a risk free rate um, that you're paying to hold that asset. So you should just be aware of that every time you trade. And this is Correct. the theme of the past two weeks, whether it's with Hourglass and Charlie or Julian uh, and Illuminate is, you know, incorporating time into financial mm-hmm. products and derivatives. And mm-hmm. this will be a theme, I'm sure, in the next DeFi cycle is having these timed products matured and on chain. And once they're all properly in place, you know, this could, you know, and especially around ETH markets and staking, staked ETH markets and whatnot, like it could really, you know, possibly spark the next leg up possibly could i mean possibly yeah i mean this is this is a market that somebody's been trying to crack into for a while 
So mm-hmm. if they can do it and figure it out well, I think I think we're in for a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any final thoughts, anyone? Uh, I, I liked his comment. Like it, it, we we really like let all the gamers go at like it's it's like a badge of honor mm-hmm. to be a you know a good like high ranked player somewhere. Uh, you know, we I know really now. enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. Saying- we yeah, should have known, yeah. At, at post post FTX, we should have known that like if you can't make top one percent in whatever <laughs> game you're playing, you know, after years of playing, we we should probably discount you as a leader and a Bearish. builder, or maybe not even <laughs> top one percent. But if you're like below average, below average, below yeah. average, yeah, below average, and maybe maybe it means something that you know he's a top almost the Elite. top five. Well, he's like top 500 in the world when it comes yeah, to Overwatch, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I really liked having Julian as a guest. Yes. Like, he, you know, I really yeah. enjoyed listening to him and his insights and his opinions and what he had to say. Like, I definitely have him on again, you know, to uh, yeah. see the progress of Illuminate, especially after all these markets launch. Also, and a great also... Uh, recommendation for a future episode guest. Yeah. Yes, Were you going to say, that's Ken? a great one. Uh, I, I was going to say, I also like that he asked us questions. You know that actually fostered yeah. a great discussion as well too. That was very different. I I think only maybe two other guests have asked us our opinions. Um, so I, I really liked mm-hmm. how we had a discourse there. That was great. Yeah. And if you want to get all of our opinions, make sure you hit that bell button and subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave us a comment. Let let us know what you think. Give us a like. Lend us your support. And give us a follow on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Join the conversation on Telegram at Flywheel DeFi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDaves22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And I'm at traders underscore insight. And subscribe to our Substack, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Go, 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 go.